Hi everyone, it's Gemma Clark here from the employment team at Right Hassle and I'm joined by my colleague Sarah. Hi. And as part of this newsletter focusing on businesses, MOTs and health checks from the employment team and the employment perspective, we're going to look at contracts and handbooks on the basis that businesses need to make sure that these are regularly updated. Uh, perhaps on an annual basis like you would with a car MOT. So first, looking at the idea of contracts. Since April 2020, all employees and workers need to be provided with a written statement of terms outlining what the terms of their employment are from day one. This used to be a couple of months that businesses would have, but since April 2020, it's now day one. So it's important to have them all prepared and ready for when employees are starting. Commonly, this written statement of terms is given in a contract of employment and Sarah is going to just take us through a little bit about what that would entail. Yeah, so Section 1 of the Employment Rights Act 1996 requires employers to provide employees with a set of information. It's usually the key elements of their employment, such as salary, hours and place of work. Um, and this, as Gemma has said, must be provided from day one so employees know the terms and conditions of their employment. So it's, as Sarah mentioned, important for employees to know the terms of their employment, their obligations, but also for the employer to set out clearly what their obligations are as well. And as part of the changes that came about in April 2020, there were also some changes to include more information in employment contracts. So previously, some information might have been given to employees elsewhere, potentially through policies or other written documentation. Uh, but now there are some extra clauses that have been introduced since April 2020 that must be in all contracts issued moving forwards. So Sarah, what are those clauses that need to be included? So there were three principal inclusions. There's training, benefits and paid leave. So training is uh, information relating to any training that the employee will receive throughout their employment. Um, including any compulsory courses and benefits is um, as it sounds any benefits that the employer will receive throughout their employment so we often see the inclusion of um, health insurance and then in terms of looking at your sort of suite of employment contracts now Sarah is it is it the case that one size fits all with contracts of employment no absolutely not so um as with all employees that will have different roles within the business, uh, we often see contracts reflect their seniority within the business. So we would expect there to be junior contracts for, for more junior employees, senior contracts, and also director service agreements for, for employees of that level. Uh, so the, the difference is uh, commonly restrictive covenants uh, is an example. So customers and <laughs> employees that are... Um, not dealing with customers or client facing, restrictive covenants might not be so required in that case. Um, for example, there's less risk to the business. Uh, or garden leave is another example. So uh, you might not need them to be on garden leave if they're t terminating their appointment as they need to be required to wear their notice. So that's especially in cases where you might have potentially more junior employees in the business and their notice period might be slightly shorter. Um, and on that basis, you think it's easier for them to work their business, you do, work their notice, you don't need them to sort of be on guard and leave during that period of time. 
obviously, if there is a pylon clause in their contract, so payment in lieu of notice, you could also exercise that right as well. Now, in terms of the contracts, why it's important to have them updated, as Sarah said, Section 1 of the Employment Rights Act 1996 dictates certain clauses to be in there and given to an employee from day one of their employment. Now, if they're not, then potentially it risks a claim in the employment tribunal being raised by the employee and what they can do is they can claim for two to four weeks of pay on the basis of not being provided with a compliant contract of employment. One important thing to note is that they can't bring that as a standalone claim. So the only way they'd be able to do that is if they were issuing another claim against the business. But ultimately, it's always best to have everything in writing and be clear from the off so everyone knows what their obligations are. Now, in terms of practicalities with contracts of employment, it's vital that you know where they are and that they're stored and easily accessible for both you and the employee. So, Sarah, what kind of advice would you give to businesses about storing contracts of employment? So, we'd always recommend that they're stored electronically and in hard copy. Um, so, one way that we would advise them being stored electronically, electronically is on an online portal. So, um, this could be where you can store key employment documents, including contracts, and it makes them easily accessible for both the employer and the employee should either party need to access them. Uh, one such example of a portal is one created by Albion Legal, who we are partnered with to give our clients access to that HR portal. And that also includes access to um, annual leave records and sickness absence records. So it's good to have all that information in one place so employers and employees can access it when needed. And then I think finally on sort of the contracts, we want to make sure that obviously once they're all updated and you've got sort of your suite of contracts that you can use going forward for new employees, that's absolutely brilliant. But there's also potentially the issues of what if an employee currently has a contract and you might need to amend that because of some change to their terms of employment. Now, when you do that, you can look to issue them a brand new contract of employment. But the other option, if it's just a small amendment, which might be, say, an employee's got a promotion and their job title and salary are changing as a result, then you don't need to issue a brand new contract every time that happens. What you can do is something called a contract variation letter, which is essentially an addendum to their contract of employment. And what that will do is set out in writing what the proposed changes are to their terms of employment. And what the employee would need to do is sign that letter to confirm their agreement to the proposed changes. And once that's signed, it will have in the letter the date that those changes will come into effect. And essentially, those are their revised terms of employment moving forwards. Now, for the employee to consent to the change, you just need to make sure that they're fully informed. And so as part of that, you'll need to consult with them about the changes. Now, if it is something like a promotion, then it's very unlikely there will be any sort of questions or concerns raised. They're likely to sign on the dotted line straight away. But if there are some other changes and there might be potentially more restrictions being added to their contract or anything like that, then the consultation process is very important just to make sure that the employee understands the changes and that they are in agreement to those before they're put in place. And if there are any sort of concerns from the employee raised, then there are lots of different ways that we can deal with that and see how we can look to reach an agreement with the employee. So if you are in that situation, get in touch with the employment team and we can talk you through the different options to make sure that going forward, everyone's happy with the terms of employment. So I think that probably wraps up about the contracts of employment and then we'll just 
move on to handbooks next. So as with contracts of employment, we'd advise that policies um, are regularly reviewed and updated to take into account any changes in legislation and to reflect best practice, but also in case there are any changes internally within the business to make sure that you're accurately reflecting the current position within the organisation. So it's important that businesses have a variety of different employment law policies in place because they provide guidance on a variety of different matters such as holiday or maternity leave or making flexible working request. And again, it's to make it clear to employees what their rights are, but also their obligations and also what the obligations are of the employer. And it also sets out procedures for employees to follow for potential formal processes, such as a disciplinary procedure or a grievance process. So it's a, a fount of knowledge and information essentially for the workplace. Now, in terms of policies being relied upon, they can often be used for, as we said, formal processes, and it's encouraged to have them ready and they're available that if a formal process is started, you can direct the employee to the correct policy and the relevant information that they would need to know. Having in place policies would mitigate the risk for employers, essentially, if employees feel that they may be being treated differently in the workplace and potentially unfavourably this could lead to an employee raising a grievance through the formal process or even saying that they feel there's been a breach of the trust and confidence with their employer and ultimately resigning and potentially bringing a claim for constructive unfair dismissal. Alternatively if an employee feels that their differential treatment is related to a reflected characteristic under the Equality Act 2010 they could also try and bring a claim for discrimination. So having that information all written down and clear is a really key starting point and helpful in potentially a defence that an employer might need to bring in in the employment tribunal or even the civil uh, court, potentially in respect to bribery or tax evasion. So having them all there and written down is really important. So Sarah, what would you say is the easiest way for employers to make sure they've got all that written down? So when employers have their policies, it's always best to keep them together. So in a, in a staff handbook, it makes the policies more easily accessible. Um, and we would also recommend that that handbook is kept in an electronic and a hard copy. So electronically, it might be on the intranet that all employees can access or emailed around periodically if changes are made if you don't have an intranet. Um, and also a hard copy kept in the place of employment as well. So employees can access it as and when they need it when they're in the place of work. Um, it's important that it's accessible because some of the information for this section one that we talked about in um, contracts and employment, some of the information from that contract, that section one statement can be included in the handbook and just referenced in the contract. And so it needs to be accessible for that purpose as well. Now, in terms of staff handbooks, they can be contractual or they can be non-contractual. What we would always recommend is that they're non-contractual on the basis this provides businesses the flexibility to amend the policies as necessary, either to fit with updates or the needs of the business at the time. If the handbook is contractual in nature, that becomes more difficult. And as we talked about the contracts of employment, to make any amendments, what you would need to do is propose the amendments and obtain employee consent to making those changes because they are contractual documents in that sense. And as we talked about then, that's 
involves the consultation process as well. So it's a bit more long-winded. So having a handbook that's non-contractual just allows that greater flexibility and ease of change within the business. Now, in terms of the link with contracts of employment and handbooks, they sort of, as I said, go hand in hand. And we'd advise if you're looking at updating one, then you would try and update the other just to make sure that they coincide and they accurately refer to each other when there are references made. It's always helpful in a contract of employment to just refer to the handbook itself and make clear whether that's kind of contractual or a non-contractual document so that it is clear for both parties. And if it is held to be non-contractual, uh, then what it should say as well is just to make clear that if there is a conflict at all between the terms of the staff handbook and the terms of the contract of employment, that it's the contract of employment that will prevail. So it might be, for example, a situation where the holiday policy in your handbook sets out the statutory minimum holiday entitlement of 28 days, but some employees in your organisation may get additional holiday as a result of length of service or due to seniority of their role. And therefore, it would be made clear that the contractual term of that additional holiday would apply and overrule their handbook because we appreciate a staff handbook and policies can be general in nature and they won't necessarily apply to every single different employee's situation. Now, in terms of the policies to be included in a staff handbook, Sarah, what would your advice be to businesses on those? So there are certain policies that are legally required to be in a handbook or certainly the company to have policies on them. So um, that includes disciplinary rules and procedures, the grievance procedure and pensions information. Again, those are information that are required by the um, section one written statement. So as we say, we, we'd recommend that they're referred to in the contract, but that the detail is in the policies in a handbook, just because in order to include all the detail that's required, those policies can be quite long and it avoids the contract of employment being being such a lengthy document. There are others that we strongly recommend. So they include data protection and a privacy notice in order to comply with GDPR. There's equal opportunities, anti-harassment and bullying policies, anti-bribery, and also flexible working. So um, in the age of, of working more flexibly, as we see more companies um, trying to work flexibly with their employees, um, flexible working is, is a really important policy. It outlines how employees make a flexible working request and the remits around that and how they'll be considered. Um, and it's also one to note because there are some changes upcoming. So in relation to the, the MOT, it's a good one to keep an eye on because there will be some changes anticipated next year. So that policy will need to be updated to reflect those. And then in terms of other policies, as Sarah said, there are some legally required for all businesses where a business is over the size of five employees, they also need a health and safety policy included. And some businesses are also required to have a whistleblower policy. But on top of that, other policies that we'd sort of suggest would depend on the nature of your, the work that is done at the business and the size of the organisation as well. So it may be that if a business offers company cars as a benefit, that there should be a policy in place. But obviously, if there's no benefit, in that remit, then you wouldn't need such a policy. So we would be going through and it's important sort of to potentially get some legal advice on uh, the potential policies that are, are in place in the employment uh, workplace and which would suit your business. And um, then we can look at drafting those for you. So uh, I think that's sort of everything that we wanted to cover in terms of the MOT for contracts and handbooks. As we said, it's important to keep these regularly reviewed 
and what you might want to put in your handbook because when the last review date was to keep in mind when the next one might want to be. And if you do feel like you're in need of a bit of an MOT and update on either of the documents, please do get in touch with the employment team and we'll be happy to review them and talk them through with you and see what changes that we would advise and then make those for you.